Welcome to Everything Imaginable, the podcast for curious minds from KGRA Radio. And here is your host, Gary Cochileo. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Everything Imaginable. I'm your host, Gary Cacciolillo, and today we have Preston Dennett. He is a MUFON investigator, um, and he's written books on UFOs, paranormal, and even cryptids. Thanks for coming on. Hey, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Uh, so what got you started on all this? I uh, kind of dragged into it involuntarily, really. I, I grew up very skeptical of all things paranormal, UFOs especially. I was repulsed by the subject. I did not want really? to hear it. Yeah. yeah. I was pretty darn sure that UFOs weren't real just for a couple of simple reasons. The stars are too far away. Uh, it's not taught in schools. And I figured if UFOs were truly real, I would have known about it, about it by now. But it was 1986, and I was <laughs> seriously. I mean, I, I had no idea. Uh -huh. uh, all this was taking place right under my nose. In uh, 1986, I heard a report on the news. This is late 1986, November, about a setting over Alaska. It's a very famous setting now. Uh, Kenju Taroshi was a pilot. Mm -hmm. on a oh Japanese. yeah, yeah, yeah. You, know, you, you may know that case, the JAL. <laughs> So that, you know, they just kind of joked about it on the news. It wasn't really a serious report, but it got me interested. And I have to tell you, I remember my brother, Mark, said he saw a UFO and I didn't believe him. So I went to him first. I think it was him first. I'm like, Mark, did you hear about this pilot? And he's like, no. And uh, he said, I'm like, well, he said he saw a UFO. Didn't you say you saw one? He's like, yeah, yeah. And he described this incredible sighting. For the first time, I actually listened. <laughs> and uh, I still wasn't sure I believed him, honestly, because mm -hmm. he, he was describing a chasing this object down the road and in his car. said it was very low, had a dome on top, metallic, colored lights, your typical flying saucer. And he's like, hey, you know, Greg and Phil, my friends were with me. You can talk to them, too. <laughs> and, you know, I did. I called him up <laughs> and I talked to them. And that's kind of where it started. I thought, okay, what if this is real? And found out I had other family members, friends, coworkers, acquaintances, uh, who had had really dramatic encounters. I mean, some of these people had missing time, face-to-face -face encounters with gray ETs, full-on onboard experiences. Mm -hmm. I was shook up. I was not a happy camper. <laughs> so, so... So, um, what was it like, like going from a skeptic non-believer to being shook up and being like, whoa, this is real. Like, what was that like? Painful. You know? Yeah. It was, was not fun. I was pretty upset. I was angry at my uh, family, friends, and coworkers for basically lying to me is how I kind of took it. <laughs> <laughs> I was scandalized at society itself for treating uh -huh. the subject with, with disdain and ridicule. Um, I was mad at all my teachers. <laughs> I was mad. 
Uh, and it was a real big adjustment. I went out there to the libraries and I started checking out books. And there weren't a whole lot at that time. There was definitely a section on UFOs. Right. And I'm expecting to find books that'll disprove this. Mm-hmm. Well, no, what I found was this is a subject that had been taken seriously for decades. There was mountains of evidence. There was a government cover-up. Yeah. Uh, I came in so naive. I thought, you know, this is kind of interesting. But what I realized is there's layers and layers to this. Mm-hmm. And it's, yeah, it's, it, I'm still adjusting, to, to be honest. This is, mm-hmm. Yeah, because I guess like around 1986, uh, the cases that you would have had available to like in a library would have been like Area 51 or Roswell type of stuff. Um, yeah, Area 51 hadn't really broken. Yeah, that yeah that's point. right. That was, that was later. <laughs> There was tr- the Travis Walton, Betty and Barney Hill, yeah, Betty, Betty Andreessen, uh, um, Battle of L.A., right? Yeah, yeah. There was the Pascagoula abduction, Charlie Hickson and Calvin Parker. And but course, really just a few cases. In the course of around that time, too, I think Close Encounters had come out. Yep, that, in the 70s. Mm-hmm. This was you know, yes. before Whit- Whitley Strieber's case had really broken. It was around that time, I think it was 1989 or 88, his book came out. Hmm. So that's when the field really exploded, is right when I got in. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Because um, I really didn't start getting into it until the 90s. And, um, you know, one of the things that got me into the UFO things was I was working at Bell Labs in New Jersey. And um, when I, was, I used to smoke, and I was outside smoking a cigarette, and this guy was telling me a story, like um, how the idea for silicone chips and fiber optics came from reverse engineering a flying saucer, and that he had worked at, um, you know, NASA doing this. And, 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 of course, I didn't believe him. And then, like, I swear, like, a year later, like, the Bob Lazar story came out. I was like, oh, shit. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe this dude was telling me the truth. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So, uh, like, some of the stuff that you cover, and I'm going to jump right into some of the heavier stuff, abductions. Um, What do you think, why do you think they're abducting people? Yeah, that's that's the million-dollar question, isn't it? Uh, Mm Mm-hmm. That's where I kind of started and have been focusing my research. Yeah, because that's actually something I really haven't covered a whole lot on this podcast that I'd really love to talk about. Yeah, I mean, sightings are interesting. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. The government cover-up, all of this stuff, conspiracies. But I feel like people are having actual contact. To me, that's super interesting. And yeah. uh, that's what I really wanted to know more about. And... um what have you learned in your research about abductions? Um, well, I learned that it's probably widespread. That's one of the first things that occurred to me because I read a quote from J. Allen Hynek, you know, the blue book guy. Yes. Mm-hmm. And he said one in 40 people have had an onboard experience. And this was early on. I thought, no, there's no way. That's way too many. That would be millions of people. That, that would mean I know someone who's been abducted. Because yes. I know 50 people. <laughs> and so I buckled down. I started asking everyone I knew. You know, and I got a lot of strange looks. And I you know, cleared the room a few times at parties. But 
I started to get some really incredible stories from people that I knew were not lying because I had, you know, I knew them. I know they're my family. They're my friends. So I started thinking, okay, perhaps this is more common than I realized. And, I, and by now I'm building a sizable UFO library. You know, I not only subscribed to the magazines, I bought all their back issues. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, I dived in deep because I, I wanted to find out what's going on. And yeah, immediately I realized onboard experiences is perhaps where I'm going to find the most pay dirt, most information. So I focused on that and started interviewing people who've been taken on board. And there's definitely patterns. I think we do have a handle on why they're doing it, what the whole alien agenda is. Okay. So what are some of the patterns? um, When someone's taken on board, you know, generally they describe very much the same things. I'm going to say 60, 70% is the same type of thing. So uh, it's usually, I'm going to say uh, people describe the interior of the UFOs as very similar with indirect lighting, rounded walls, uh, very sparse furniture, this sort of thing. Pastel mm-hmm. colors, perhaps, or white or beige or gray metallic walls. So, uh, and a central dome, even the windows. Everything's described very much the same by people who have no idea you know, that other people are reporting these same details. So that's mm-hmm. interesting. But what I hear most often, and this is definitely borne out by other people's research, is the physical examination. definitely one of their agendas. I think Thomas Bullard was the first one to really outline the various procedures that take place on board a UFO. And that is the one we hear most. If someone's taken on board a UFO, more than likely they're going to be physically examined. And people just got to take... Why do you think that is? Like, like, I mean, or do you think they're doing more than just examinations? Do you think they're actually putting implants in people or maybe collecting DNA to create clones? For sure. um, I'm not sure if cloning is their primary. Well, yeah, perhaps it is. It's all about genetics. It truly is. Uh, They seem to be very interested in not only just physically examining people and taking, you know, hair samples or nails and skin and blood and so on, but Genetics, our genetic material, uh, reproductive material. This is very common. And it seems to lead towards this hybrid baby phenomena, which I have, my first case was a hybrid baby case. Uh, this was before Bud Hopkins was putting out his book, Intruders, which really kind of solidified that theory. So that is definitely one of their main agendas, particularly with what we would look as, as the greys. They are uh, interbreeding with us. They are replenishing their race, revitalizing it due to genetic damage that they've suffered. And I'm still getting cases like this from people who haven't read any UFO books and are repulsed by the subject because as experiencers, often people find it very frightening and, yeah, and, yeah, and, don't, yeah. and refuse to read any UFO books or watch anything remotely about this right and the so one start telling the one person i know who who's had an abduction experience won't go near the topic right <laughs> so it's very interesting to hear them start t- saying you know it's really weird it was like they were talking in my mind 
telepathy. That's mm -hmm. universal pretty much in onboard experiences. So people are physically examined, they're put on a table, often into a, what looks more like a dentist chair. Uh, that's a detail that's not super well known. Uh, it's getting out there now, but this is something many people describe, and it's very uh -huh. interesting to hear this. So that's one of their main agendas. They're revitalizing their race due to their inability to reproduce genetic damage and sort of reintroducing emotions uh, into their genetic stock. Grays are essentially human. They've got the same genes as us. Uh -huh. uh, I've got a number of cases where the ETs have said that specifically, and certainly I could march out a bunch of cases from other researchers where the ETs said, you know, we used to look just like you, or one day you will look like us. So there is some sort of relationship there that's probably closer than we think. So do you think that maybe the graves origin originated possibly from Earth? You know, because there's a lot of evidence that, that, you know, there's been advanced societies on Earth predating humans. Right. And Atlantis. maybe they, maybe they started here, left, and then, you know, maybe being out in space messed up their DNA, and now they're coming back to, you know, kind of rebuild. Yeah, some have said exactly that. Um, there are enough cases where you could march out the theory that these are time travelers, uh, because some of them have said that as well. We are from your future. Um, I hesitate to put all of these under, you know, in one basket or under the same explanation, because I think we're dealing with a wide variety of, you know, ET types and right. beings, and even among greys. Mm -hmm. def definitely, I think, you know, the possibility of a breakaway human civilization from early on does account for some of these cases and that these greys are essentially human. It's really interesting because having interviewed so many people, there's a huge variety of humanoids, but they're almost always humanoids, <laughs> almost always have two arms and a legs, eyes, nose, mouth, you know, basic human form. Yeah. I'm, I'm not so sure we you know, as humans, even evolved on this planet. Certainly not in the way that it's taught in schools. Uh, so, so you think maybe the Earth was seeded? I think so, uh, because we have totally human-looking ETs out there. That's one of the main three types. You know, there's greys, there's praying mantis, and there's human-looking. There's, you know, reptilians, I think that's a smaller mm -hmm. type. But, and just your general humanoids, strange humanoids of all types. It's another category, but lots of human looking ones. So that really raises serious questions about who we are. You know, did we evolve on this planet? Where do we come from? Has our race been genetically manipulated for centuries, if not millennia? I think probably yes. Mm -hmm. and, and I say that because all across our planet, pretty much, I don't want to say every culture, but a large portion of cultures trace their origins back to you know, sky people or gods from the sky or visitors from above. Mm -hmm. it's very strong in Native American culture. You know, in Egypt, they talked about this. And Sumer, one of the first known civilizations, or modern, I should, should say. Because, yeah, I think there were Atlantis uh -huh. prior civilizations before us, which were very advanced. I mean, we know this. Pretty yes. much factually, just from the Vimyanas of ancient Egypt, flying mm -hmm. machines. 
So the history of our planet is not being taught accurately in schools. And I think people are beginning to wake up to it. And that's part of the ET agenda, for sure. It's not just, you know, physically examining people and creating uh-huh. babies. They've, they are here to wake us up. So, so they want us to know our true origin, you think? For sure. You know, a lot of people who are taken on board or contacted do find it a little scary. And a lot of people have it shrouded in amnesia, whether it's by our own mind, sort of a trauma response, or the ETs saying, you know, don't, you won't remember. Uh, I think it's a combination of both, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't think they're here to scare people or hurt people or take over. That's absurd. They have been around for forever. If they wanted to take over, they could have so easily. Uh, um, I, don't, I don't see that at all. What I see is them being, trying to wake people up. Uh-huh. When someone you know, is, moves beyond that fear barrier, they start to get real communication. They start to get an honest-to-God relationship with these guys. And they're given warnings. That's very common. Messages of some kind usually relating to how we're treating our planet. There's lots of warnings about nuclear proliferation and pollution and our warlike ways. Right. They're all on that. And I don't <laughs> care if you're talking about greys or the human looking or the praying mantis. Or, I mean, you can go back to the contactee era of George Adamski, Howard Menger, uh, Truman Bethram, all those guys, Orfeo Angelucci. Same message. These ETs, no matter where they come from, are coming here and going, oh, my God, what are you guys doing? Mm-hmm. You're destroying yourselves. Wake up. So that is definitely a primary agenda, for sure. Why, if that's the case, why do you think they do it like in such a covert way? What do you think they do is just like maybe like, you know, just take over a TV station and broadcast it? Yeah, it's interesting you say that because there have been, you know, scattered incidents like that where they appear on radio or even TV or all kinds of electromagnetic instruments. They do put on displays. You know, they are announcing their presence pretty much in your face. But we have been given free will on this planet. I think there's sort of a prime directive a la Star Trek, which they do follow. Mm-hmm. This is something that you know they have mentioned, in fact, specifically in various cases that, yes, they can intervene, but they can't just take over. Hey, me, I'm ready to you know, obey our alien overlords. If they want to come down and take over, I think they couldn't do any worse than some of our own leaders. But they're not going to do that. That's not their style. They're going to help us as best as they can, but it's up to us to solve our own problems. And uh, now it's reaching a critical point. So we're, we're seeing sightings ramp up, contact yes. ramp up. We're seeing a lot of this stuff coming out. And I think they are pushing an agenda. The ETs are pushing an agenda of moving towards open official contact, you know, get sort of facilitating government disclosure. That's another thing that's stopping us from having open official contact is our own government you know, the, is lying to us, which is our own fault. The people are the rulers on this planet. And what we lap up in, in our media, uh, we may complain about, but that's our own fault because we're responding to it and we're buying it, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. If we want change, it's up to us to, you know, seize the day. Um, 
like what you know and i and i agree with you that that definitely at least some of these aliens have our best intentions at hand because they do seem to show up around nuclear facilities and um you know it just in places where it seems like we're we're going to be most capable of doing the most harm to ourselves um yeah, but but what what do you, are they just? Do you think they're just acting out of like some kind of um, altruistic way, or is it for their own preservation as well? Yeah, um, well, I think we probably have both. Honestly, it's a wide, wide universe. There's, a, you know, we, we are clearly not the only entities out there. You know, even skeptics agree that there's got to be life out there. Mathematically, the answer has to be. Right. So I think logic would dictate that there's a bell curve of, you know, spiritual evolution and that, that some people, some, you know, not necessarily earthlings, but whomever are going to be what we would classify as not nice, even evil. And there's going to be some who are altruistic. And that's pretty much what we see. ET behavior falls under the same umbrella as human behavior. Right. It really does. Everything they do, we have done everything that ETs are doing to us. There's not a thing that they've done that's like unique. We tag animals. You know, we abduct animals. We abduct mm -hmm. people. We kidnap people all the time. In fact, when someone is kidnapped on Earth, it usually doesn't end well. <laughs> but, but when someone is kidnapped by aliens, uh, you know what? It can turn out to be a really good thing. I've documented mm -hmm. some 300 cases of people who have been healed physically healed of you name it broken bones burns minor illnesses like colds and flus and infections uh -huh. serious illnesses like diphtheria diabetes tuberculosis hepatitis a long long list and cancer 30 40 cases healing humanity is a primary agenda that's some so there is an altruistic aspect to this as much as, you know, some people who had horrifying abductions don't believe this. And I get it. You know, I get how scary that can be. And a lot of people do have very unpleasant traumatic experiences and they come away damaged. But, you know, women have gynecological problems. Yeah. People, people are suffering. But I don't think that the ETs are doing hurting people on purpose because what we don't see is sadism and torture and like, ha ha ha, I've got you. And they're enjoying us, you know, hurting us, right. which is something we do see among humans. So no, I don't think that there's any evidence that they're evil. This is actually what I ask people. Do you think these are evil? Are they demonic? Are they here to take over? Only a very small percentage of people I interview feel that way. Uh -huh. And most say, no, I think they're you know, very interested in us. Uh, so they seem to be very interested in some of the best parts of being human. We're very special. There's something they love about our ability to feel, our ability to experience and live on this physical plane. Uh, our psychic abilities, they seem to be very interested in that. Uh, we all have the ability to have precognition and telepathy and hands-on healing. And this is a primary agenda for sure. Almost everyone I talk to has had repeated onboard experiences 
is profoundly psychic or very interested in alternative methods of healing, environmentalism, channeling, mm -hmm. this sort of thing. It's super common. Out-of-body experiences, past lives. There's a very pronounced spiritual aspect to all of this, which has been largely ignored by a lot of abduction investigators. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that, there, there is that common denominator um, with some of it. But I also have interviewed a few people, um, one in particular, his name was Len Katzen, about reptilians. Yeah. And, he, you know, he, he describes like this um, dark underbelly of alien, an alien group of these reptilians working with Nazis and, and, and just trying to basically kill off the human race so they can have the planet to themselves. Right. Yep. There's an absolutely an evil force on our planet. Uh, we can see this just from the inequality of wealth, the greed that's choking our planet, and uh, the, the fact that we're essentially still in slave times. I know slavery is outlawed, but there are still slaves across our planet, probably oh. more than there were. Money is slavery. <laughs> Yeah, we're all wage slaves. Yeah, you know. I, I mean, it's an unequal exchange of energy. Right. And, uh, you know, look at the media and the, the news and the, the drug agencies. The, all those drugs that are on TV trying to sell us mm -hmm. with all these weird side effects. And there's clearly an agenda from some, I got, I'll call them the one percenters, you know, the people who are cut, holding the UFO information secret. There's an evil force, no doubt. We're, we're, Agenda 21 has been known for decades. We're, there's a segment of our population who feel like they're superior, whether it's genetic or royal lines or you know, they believe they're ETs or whatever, who think that you know, they're trying to do this. Yes, I do believe that's true, and this is reaching into sort of the conspiracy angle of it. Mm -hmm. uh, but... I mean, it's evident just from, you know, the problems we're having on our planet now, the divisiveness, the problems with pollution, the problems with racism, the inequality of wealth. But we're waking up. Last 100, 200 years, we've made great, great strides. We've doubled our lifespan. You know, we've brought women into equality with men, at least to some extent. They used to not be able to own property or anything. They were basically slaves uh, for hundreds of years and that's finally stopped yeah so so now it's i'm very hopeful you know i know there are a lot of doom and gloomers out there and i think i know things look tough and i think we probably are going to deal with enormous disasters coming up the ets have said so over and over and over again and there may very well be large loss of life but doesn't have to be that way there's still time to turn around. Love is the most powerful force in the universe. It might take some huge event for people to wake up and realize that we are all brothers and sisters. But the fact is we are. Um, ultimately, we're a telepathic race. Subconsciously, we're all very much connected. Mm -hmm. And what we think of as being different is we're not. We're not the least bit different from each other. We all know each other. We all love each other, and someday we're going to wake up to that. So I'm hopeful that this all turns out really well. 
but we'll see because we're in <laughs> tough times right now. Yeah. What is Agenda 21? Yeah, this is, you know, I'm not a conspiracy expert, but I've certainly been forced to look even, into I've it. I've never heard it, so. <laughs> yeah, that's basically what you're talking about, that there's an agenda by the one percenters or, you know, the power elite mm-hmm. to wipe out 90% of the human race. Uh, and this has been, you know, rumored for decades. Mm-hmm. There are yeah. lots of researchers who focus on this. And I haven't, but I'm certainly aware of it. And it's coming more and more to the forefront right now, especially with this current uh, pandemic situation. People are wondering if this is a dry run or you know, what is going on here. And I have to tell you, I've talked to a number of contactees recently who are like, yes, you know, the, you know, everything's going to hit the fan shortly. Get ready. We haven't mm-hmm. seen nothing yet. So I'm a little worried. I'm definitely concerned. Um, apparently the ETs are too. We've seen a ramp up in sightings this year. Don't think that's a coincidence. Uh, I think it's, t- you know, disclosure has been talked about for decades. Everyone uh-huh. I got in this field, they're like, ah, oh, they're going to disclose and it never happened. Or ETs are going to land and it still hasn't happened. But right. now I'm really beginning to wonder if this could you know, be the time when we do see some serious disclosures, when we do see really major UFO events that are absolutely undeniable. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're darn close. The Phoenix Lights was a huge event. Yeah, that was amazing. That's definitely one of my top 10 cases is the Phoenix Lights because it was right. filmed by so many people and saw, seen and reported and it's undeniable. Yeah. I think the only question I would have about the Phoenix Lights is whether it was one of theirs or one of ours. Yeah, I'm going to say, hell no, was it ours? <laughs> because having looked into, you know, I wrote a book, UFOs over Arizona, and the Phoenix Lights is, of course, Arizona's number one star. It's one of the number one cases in the world. Yeah. So I looked deep into it, and Luke Air Force Base, if it was ours, they sure didn't know about it. I can tell you that because they went on lockdown. They launched planes. People were calling them one after another. They completely denied receiving any calls until the National UFO Reporting Center said, well, actually, we referred calls. Um, we had people who called the Air Force and said that, they, and the police too. So Luke Air Force Base got caught lying from the beginning. And it's pretty clear they didn't know. And uh, this caused red alert to go on and uh, our national security, some, some researchers have really looked into this and we went up to orange alert or something like this. And uh, it caused weird power outages. There's all kinds of weird things that happened. We've done freedom of information request act, you know, mm-hmm. action on this and it's been blocked. No mm-hmm. government agents would look into this, you know, Senator, uh, McCain, nope. Uh, no, you know, finally it was Frances Barwood, a city councilwoman who was who the only one who tried to look into this in an official capacity. And she got blocked at every turn, mercilessly ridiculed. She was contacted by hundreds of people from air traffic controllers to police to higher up government people. Um, and uh, she really tried to get this investigated and couldn't get it couldn't move it forward 
she ended up losing her job over this, basically. She became the UFO candidate and lost in her next election. So, yeah, no way it was the Phoenix Lights ours. That thing was so massive. And I think it was a display, a sort of like look at us type of thing. Uh, one of their agendas uh-huh. is to say, hey, here we are. This is us. Look, look. You are not alone. Hmm. And uh, that, I think, was really the main purpose behind the Phoenix Lights. And for that matter, you know, the Mexico City wave. Mm-hmm. Which is, you know, Mexico, they know, they know UFOs are real because oh, of that, yeah. <laughs> that sighting during the solar eclipse. There was 30 people videotaping it from different locations all over the city. Some of the best footage we have. But every country has had one of these sightings which is undeniable. France had a wave in 1954, which just completely turned them upside down. And uh, Belgium, the Belgium wave. I mean, this mm-hmm. goes across the country. Um, Australia had a, a, a sighting at uh, Westall High School, which remains their most famous sighting, their most widely viewed sighting. And that shook up their government to no end. And is still talked about to this day. And that was way back in 1967. There was another school one too, wasn't there? Like in Zimbabwe. Yes, there well, sure was. Aliens exited the the ship and came out. And- yeah, this is one of their agendas. They are visiting schoolyards. I wrote a whole book on this because I found kind of stumbled into that as well. Schoolyard sightings. I'm like, what's going on here? Why are they hovering over schools? I got a hundred cases. It's in every well, not every country, but uh, hundreds of cases all over the world, stretching back to at least 1950, a few earlier cases. And uh, they are hovering over schools at very low level, often landing, 30% of the time they're landing. It's usually elementary schools, right. the very youngest of our kids, who are most impressionable, I think, which is why. And uh, the Rua Zimbabwe case of 1994 at Ariel Elementary School is kind of the ultimate case of this kind. Yes. It's not unique. Yeah, in that case, a UFO landed next to the school. Some 200 kids saw this. Uh, A smaller amount saw the ETs come out, and an even smaller portion, you know, actually communicated with them directly. And it was the same message we're always getting, that they always give to adults. Please, please, please stop destroying your environment. Mind you, this is back in 1994. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> which you know was well before the environmental movement was really picking up steam yeah yeah we, and, and we've destroyed a lot more since boy if you look at a map of our forests how they were 100 years ago to where they are now it's chilling it is chilling we need to start planting trees big time yeah and uh, that's that was one of their messages you're destroying your forests <laughs> what are you doing to your forests they are your lifeline. So these little kids were getting these messages and, you know, they're just kids. They don't, that's what's interesting about these schoolyard cases is many of them have never even heard of UFOs. Mm-hmm. They weren't the least bit afraid in most of these cases. It's, they're just like, oh, here's, you know, a vehicle coming from the sky. That's weird. Hey, look, someone's coming out who looks a little different. It wasn't like, ah, aliens. Uh, they're just little kids. 
but every one of these kids remembers this in vivid detail. It's something they think about every day. This is sort of the most common thread that runs through these schoolyard encounters is, wow, I remember this from when I was a kid. To, as vivid as it was today. So that, I think, is, again, their agenda of saying, announcing their presence in a way that's not going to turn society on its head mm-hmm. and cause you know, the religious sector to worship or you know, people to demonify them or deify them or to cause social collapse and economic havoc and all kinds of stuff. No, they're slipping in the message in ways that are it's very, it's kind of sneaky and very clever to, to yes. go to children. That is interesting. You know, and you kind of just gave me the answer to that other question. Like, why would they operate in such a covert way? You know, and maybe it's, it's to not to harm our society. Yeah, and to, I to, think that's exactly so, it. So, so things can stay intact, but also at the same time, change because if they wanted let's face it i i think they're there in large numbers i think they're surrounding our planet i think that there's a parade out there um it's you know we hear about a few sightings here and there the fact is if you look at the national ufo reporting center and mufon the mutual ufo network they are getting multiple sightings daily so we're talking 10 20 sightings a day minimum and we know as researchers that most people don't report their sightings. It's less than one in 10. It's honestly one in 50, one in 100. So if UFO reporting centers are getting, let's say, 20 cases a day, let's times that by 10, 200. It's probably mm-hmm. closer to 100, honestly. But So if it's 200 per day, that means at any given second, any moment, there's someone being abducted. There's someone seeing a UFO. This is an ongoing perpetual phenomena they are here in large numbers if they wanted to they could just come down and it would be the day the earth stood still instantly (laughs) and they're not doing that and there's got to be a reason so they're coming in a very surreptitious way and some people are like oh this is a a mark of evil they're coming at night you know they're kidnapping people along Uh highways and the kidnapping aspect is a little bit disconcerting it's the one thing that has me concerned and keeps me flip-flopping a little bit on, you know, are these good guys or bad? Right. Because uh, I came into this field thinking, well, no, this is bad. <laughs> this is not good. Uh, but no, I am not afraid of UFOs. I think if you even ask a little kid, you know, what they think of UFOs and give them the evidence, they're like, no, they're not hostile because they would have taken over long ago. Exactly. Right. I mean, if they want to eat us for breakfast, we would be in cages. We would be on their plate. And uh, reptilians, yeah, I get some reptilian cases, and very few. They're not usually directly associated with UFOs mm-hmm. per se. Uh, so they can off, out in the Everglades or out in the wilderness somewhere. People are seeing these things, cave-like uh, areas. I, I had interviewed somebody not too long ago. I, I think she was a spirit medium. And we were talking about the reptilians, and she was telling me that the reptilians are basically being forced to leave by the other aliens. I haven't heard that, but uh, I do wonder about how these ETs work with each other. We do see the 
what we would look at as the human looking ETs. You know, people use the term Nordic. Mm-hmm. Don't like that term because that sort of says, oh, you know, Nordics, they're blonde hair, blue eyed, light skinned, they're white. Yeah. That's not true. That's just flat out not true. If you look at the reports of human looking ETs, they come in all skin colors. And uh, our, I, to the thread that really does run through it is they're beautiful and look very handsome and muscular and sort of genetically perfect, but definitely all different races. Wouldn't and, those, are, isn't that a description that's typically used for a race that's considered Pleiadians? Yeah, yeah, I think that, that Pleiadian and Nordic is sometimes used interchangeably, which yeah. is probably you know, a misnomer. Because um, I've talked to a number of people who've seen human-looking ETs which had dark skin. Mm-hmm. You know, one guy saw a group of them, and they, he said they looked Mesoamerican. They were about five feet tall, all looked very much identical, but dark skin, short hair, wearing blue jumpsuits. Another guy saw... One, he says, he looked Middle Eastern to me, the most handsome man I've ever seen, <laughs> uh, he said, but absolutely had sort of dark hair, dark eyes, and dark skin. Right. But if they're using human DNA to, to kind of keep themselves going, they would probably adopt the features of the humans that they're getting that DNA from. Right. Or it could be, you know, vice versa, that they're, you know, genetically altering us more than themselves because we do seem to have indications of that all the way reaching back to ancient writings to missing links throughout history Mm -hmm. to what we're seeing now which is you know hybrids and clear genetic manipulation i do feel like the human looking ets and the grays and the praying mantis are working together i'm not sure what their form of government really is uh, but it's clear that they're very telepathic and communicate very well with each other and are working together. Uh, I'm not sure if they're, you know, fighting against the reptilians, so to speak, but I wonder about it. You know, I wonder about, you know, how they are dealing with us and the reptilians and all together. Uh, like the Travis Walton case is very interesting because you've got grays and the humans mm-hmm. working together. And you see this in a lot of cases. Uh, so I don't know quite what to make of it. This is, what, this is why UFO research is so important. It's such a young field. There's a lot of misinformation. An enormous amount of money is being spent by our own secret government, I'll call them, to muddy the waters, to make UFO witnesses look like idiots to accuse them of psychological, you know, being crazy or uh-huh. on drugs or just flat out lying. That's been their go-to from the beginning. Hoaxes, hallucinations, misperceptions. Anyone who sees a UFO is an idiot. And that we're still suffering from that. Hmm. Thank God that's moving away. Most people now believe UFOs are real. We've, yes. turned, that, we've turned that corner, over 50%. And our government is disclosing because they have to. They don't want to. They are being forced to because if they don't, they will lose their power. No one will believe in them. People don't right. believe the government anymore. They're losing all credibility. Do, do you think that's what like, um, like, like Louis Alexandro is doing? Like he's working for the government to help you know, make it common knowledge? 
Yeah, I think it, there's a it, lot in of, sort of a subtle way. I think there's a lot of people within government who are have have got good morals, you know, who are actual human beings and not evil, and are horrified, and are trying to get this information out. And this is what's one of the main forces that's driving disclosure is the huge number of whistleblowers who have now reached an age or a point where they're not going to lie anymore. They're not going to keep this secret. Mm -hmm. And they are spilling the beans. And this is forcing higher levels of government or these secret keepers to have to take action. It's kind of like the civil rights movement. I don't think our government wanted that at all. But they <laughs> had to. An idea's time had come and nothing could stop it. And that's what we're seeing with the UFO movement. Um, this is yeah. not going back in the bag. This is not, you know, UFOs are not going to go away. Right. I know like one of the, probably the first most reputable people I've seen go forward was, uh, I think it was like Edgar Mitchell. Yes. Yeah. Amazing. And, and he took a lot of heat. <laughs> yeah. You know, people are like, oh, we want disclosure. We want disclosure. Well, look at it this way. How many High-level uh, government people have said UFOs are real. You have presidents, you have senators, you have Jimmy representatives, Carter. you have governors, you have colonels, captains. You have every level of military, every level of government saying this is real. Every single level. President Reagan said UFOs are real, and he yeah. saw one. President Carter, you know, Governor Fife Symington, Governor Gilligan of Illinois, Senator Russell of Virginia, um, a number of senators, the highest guy in Canada, Paul Hellyer, the defense minister. I mean, what do we need? To, you know, there are, you know, the president of Mexico, I think Fidel Castro, mm -hmm. just recently, uh, the president of Middle Eastern country, was it Iran or uh, just went public saying, we've got all... People from every level of society, the real influencers in our society, mm -hmm. uh, writers, teachers, musicians, police, uh, are all saying this is real. Yeah. Miley Cyrus. Yeah, Demi Miley Lovato. Cyrus. <laughs> I've been trying to get in touch with her. <laughs> yeah, ETs love musicians because they know. They know that musicians are some, someone people listen to. Mm -hmm. So the first thing they do is go to John Lennon. They go to Pink Floyd, you know, they go to uh, Jimi Hendrix. Mm -hmm. um, they know who people are listening to. And so they immediately focus on the people who are, you know, trying to, this is what I noticed. I'm like, who's having contact? You know, who's being healed by aliens? Why some people, not others? And I first really got the pattern in the UFO healing cases. I'm like, gosh, there's a lot of social workers here. That's weird. Let's look into this. And so I started categorizing people's profession. And it was not only social workers, it was environmentalists, doctors, teachers. One guy, he was an inventor. ETs came and healed him of a hole in his heart. And they said, we are very interested in your electronics work. It's very important work. Please continue it. That's why we're healing you. Um, people who are, you know, very spiritual, who are trying to wake people up spiritually, they get visitations. So that's... Another reason why I think that these guys are have our best interests in mind. That makes complete sense. Um, how about multidimensional beings? Yes, 
And I'm so glad you asked that because people are saying, ah, maybe they're interdimensional. Maybe they're not aliens at all. There is a weird phenomena where UFOs sort of take on various masks or track cultures or, I mean, there's a segment of very educated UFO researchers like Jacques Vallée or uh, Jerome Clark who says, you know, I'd, we might not be dealing with extraterrestrials. These, this could be an intelligence that just pretending to be an extraterrestrial for whatever reason, it's wearing masks and it's interdimensional. I don't know. I am of the camp that these are mostly ETs in the traditional sense. I'm not going to say all, but if we have these metallic craft appearing on radar, leaving radiation traces, picking people up, you know, and taking them away, and they're not where they're supposed to be. So this is, no, it's a physical phenomenon. Right. If it's interdimensional, it's also physical. And uh, if we have these actual craft, and if we have these alien bodies, well, I mean, all bets are off. We know at least some of these are extraterrestrials. There are beings like us. Mm -hmm. And interdimensional, yeah, some might be interdimensional as we would think of it. We know there are other dimensions. This has been proven through uh, quantum physics. Yes. We know this is true mathematically. But we also know that we ourselves, human beings, are interdimensional. A whole universe is interdimensional. All life on earth, everything has its interdimensional aspect. We have a dream body, you know, an astral body, a soul. Mm -hmm. We are all going somewhere when we die. You do the research into the near-death experiences and out-of-body experiences and mediumship and mm -hmm. ghosts. Um, there's an interdimensional aspect to humans. We are as interdimensional as ETs are. The only difference is they really got this down. They know what they're doing. We see their craft and think, oh, wow, you know, they're disappearing. They're turning invisible. They're shape-shifting. They can shrink and enlarge and do all kinds of things that seem like magic. And maybe it's interdimensional. Well, yeah, it's interdimensional. That doesn't preclude it from being extraterrestrial or even technological. They, they have the ability to do this because they understand it. They right. understand the electromagnetic spectrum like nobody's business. What they can <laughs> do with light is amazing. They can levitate. They can you know, paralyze people. They can transmit messages. They can do healing. They can damage people. They can turn solid objects transparent, uh, pull people through solid objects. Their understanding of electromagnetics uh, w w would, I think, make people think they're interdimensional, but no, I think it's technological. They can probably travel to the other side far better than we can, but mm -hmm. certainly we can do too. Everything they do, we can do. Uh, we're just not quite there yet. Interesting. Um, how about like uh, underwater bases like Altec? Yes. Yeah, the, there hasn't been a whole lot of research into USOs, unidentified submersible objects and activity going on in our oceans. I think Ivan T. Sanderson was the first to really kind of look into this. In his book, Invisible Residence, he writes about this. Uh, Carl Feint was a researcher who focused solely on these types of encounters. Unfortunately, he passed away. 
but he was a great researcher into this. I got roped into it kind of involuntarily again. Um, <laughs> seriously, I w- wasn't looking for it, but mm-hmm. wrote, wrote UFOs over California. I'm like, hey, you know, this is a serious subject. Let's start writing history books about this because uh, no one's doing this. And this is important stuff. And we're going to lose a lot of information unless we start writing this down. So I wrote UFOs over California and then New York. I'm looking for the best states that were most influential. So New Mexico, Arizona, Nevada, and now everyone's picking this up. And so I'm so excited that people are really taking this seriously. But when I did California, I put a chapter in there on underwater activity. Because mm-hmm. off the coast here, something was going on. And uh, that chapter really got a lot of attention. And uh, I ended up excerpting it for Fate magazine. I, I wrote this little article called, Is There an Undersea UFO Base Off the Southern California Coast? Because by this point, I had gotten more cases. And I started building up another number of data points that really had me scratching my head. And the first one was, why are there so many reports here in a sharply defined area stretching back literally to the 1920s, 100 years? Something's going on here. And if you look all over the world, it's like, hmm, this is one of the top 10 producers of USO reports in the world. Maybe the top even. Uh It is crazy. I put them all on a map and I charted them out. I'm like, ah, here's 150 cases right over the water here in the Santa Catalina San Pedro Channel. It's a pretty defined area yeah. right, off the, right off the coast of Southern California. I thought, could there be a base? And I got other data points. Another was some of these cases involve multiple objects. And that's not terribly rare. In fact, it's when someone sees a UFO, there's usually another one nearby. Mm-hmm. Um, often there's one or two or three UFOs. When one sighting, you know, there's usually another one hanging up there a little bit higher. So that's not uncommon. But seeing like more than 10, that's not super common. More than 20 is much more rare. <laughs> Over 50, there's a, you know, a few hand, handfuls of uh, cases like this. There are four or five in this one area involving like 100 objects. Like, whoa, here's one with 200 objects. And in both these cases, they're coming from below, not above. Mm -hmm. And that really tripped me out. I'm like, what is going on here? Where are these coming from? They're coming from below. Because having interviewed a lot of people who've seen UFOs, it's usually a star-like object that looks a little strange and just drops out of the sky in a split second over their head. That's not what's happening in a lot of these cases here, coming from below. So that was another data point. I'm like, uh-oh. And then I started looking at the actual abduction cases. And when, like I said, when someone's taken on board, you, they're usually going to describe being in a rounded room, indirect lighting, this sort of thing. Mm-hmm. There's a handful of cases, not very many, um, you know, five, four or five, where people in this area who are abducted off the Pacific Coast Highway or in Malibu or from Catalina Island or you know Santa Barbara, this area, who described not being taken into a UFO but into an underground base, some some vast underground area, and uh, they're seeing ETs there. I'm like, uh oh, all right, 
that's kind of the smoking gun here. There is an ET base. Mm-hmm. And I got a few whistleblower accounts. I wasn't able to talk to these guys firsthand. Uh, well, one guy, he's kind of been feeding me information for years. He's in, within government circles and started alerting me to some of this stuff and pointing me in the right direction. Like these giant tunnels that supposedly run from Area 51 to Edwards to the Santa Catalina Channel. Yeah, I've heard about those. And also, it goes to like, um, was it Dulce? Yes. Our whole U.S. is crisscrossed with tunnels. There is another government. There's another world living beneath us. A complete separate society of people who are, quote, in the know. Uh, and it's a dangerous constitutional crisis type situation we're dealing with here. Uh, the, Who was it that, that I saw? Emmett Smith. Have you ever heard of him? Uh, name rings a bell. Uh, yeah, he, he he reports like working in that in you know in the underground network, and you know his job was basically taking samples of different extraterrestrial tissues. Yeah, it's interesting how this information is coming out. Bill Uhouse, you've probably heard of him from Area 51. Mm-hmm. Uh, I met him directly when, when he was speaking once here in Southern California. He came from Area 51 and talked about how he worked directly with ETs to reverse engineer craft and had you know, 20 or 30 meetings with J-Rod, I believe he called him, uh, and lots of other whistleblowers coming out of Area 51. Uh, it's not just Bob Lazar. <laughs> and... He, what I find interesting here, and here's kind of my point, is Bill Uhouse was asked if he could go public. And his superiors said, yes, go ahead. Say whatever you want. Uh, and he has. And you know, he's not getting arrested for it or you know, repercussions like a lot of whistleblowers have. You know, it's sometimes dangerous for these people to go public. And we see men in black show up if people have physical evidence or a real hot case. Yes. They'll have this evidence taken away. And people have died over this, you know, whether it's Secretary Forrestal or others. Uh, there's been some, you know, there's how many deaths associated with Roswell alone? <laughs> A number of them. Right. Why do you think the government is allow, allowing some people to come forward? Uh, it's, you know, I can only speculate or based on what we've heard from some of these whistleblowers. And from people, I think there's sort of a split within what we would think of as MJ-12, which I'm sure is real, uh, despite you know the, all the controversies surrounding these documents. Mm-hmm. It's clear that that was an absolutely real organization. Stanton Friedman's research into this, yes. to Donald Menzel alone, proved it to me. Uh, he was a paid disinformant. He knew UFOs were real the whole time. And he said, no, it's all hoaxes, hallucinations. How disingenuous can you get? Yeah, they, they know. I think there's probably splits within this, and there are people within the organization who want to know, want people to know, and want to sort of move towards a policy of transparency, uh, which is the right decision, obviously, because nothing creates fear and disorder and chaos like lying to people. And uh, we're not going to be able to solve any mysteries or you know, face what's coming if we're all fighting against each other. So I think there's a very strong segment within, you know, the controllers or the control group 
We're like, let's do the right thing. And I think that's why we're seeing some of these, you know, people disclosing while others are, you know, we're still seeing mm-hmm. it's an active cover up. It's still there. So there's probably like an old guard and a new guard. Exactly. Yeah. The old guard is like stuck in that old way of keeping everything secret. And maybe like the new guards, like, you know what? People deserve better. Yeah. There's still, you know, religions to a certain extent, you know, influencing a lot of people's decisions on this planet. Mm-hmm. But it's and, funny, like, like even like, like um, the Vatican has sort of come out and said, yeah, you know, yeah, more than once. <laughs> it, it, it's, it, it's a phenomenon. And, and we accept that, and you know. Yeah, I'm. I'm still waiting for this to be taught in schools. I'm still waiting because the government isn't is still covering this up. If, if you had a UFO land in your backyard and you were able to get a piece of alien technology, uh, the chances are very good that you're not going to be able to keep it, especially right. if you go public. Uh, if you, you know. What, what was our recent wave? You know, we have these waves of sightings like Phoenix, like the Stevensville case. Mm-hmm. Government stepped in and said, oh, nope, that wasn't us. We know nothing about it. Oh, wait, that was us. What you saw were afterburners. Oh, wait, better not talk about something. There was a guy who was threatened, flat out threatened by government not to talk about this. Uh, and they issued contradictory statements and still covering this up. These whole recent Pentagon disclosures are cute <laughs> there you know it's it's nice to have some movement right uh, I, I really appreciate you know s- these pilots coming forth this policy of you know not ridiculing pilots anymore and allowing them to report their sightings i like the footage of the tic tac video it's not the best footage i've seen by any means uh but for them to say oh you know look at this you know they still haven't said we have the craft they said we have materials from otherworldly craft Mm -hmm. and kind of worded it very carefully and i had to laugh when i heard that because that was a huge statement it should have been front page news everyone should be jumping up and down uh because our government in an official capacity had basically said ufos are real almost but they didn't show us the craft they didn't show us the bodies they didn't even show us the metal that's what we're getting next, by the way. <laughs> They're going to show us a little piece of metal and say, look, we don't know what this is, or this can't be from Earth. And I'm just going to shake my head and raise my fist and say, you a-holes, pull the curtain back and show us what you really have. We know. <laughs> is, that that some, is that something you've heard from one of your insiders? That's going to come bu- forward with a piece of metal? Yeah, this is the buzz within, you know, among UFO researchers who are trying to keep their finger on the pulse here that this is what's coming down the pipeline and i think yeah that's what we're gonna see something uh, at least <laughs> and it's nice but you know if you ask your average citizen on the street right now you know, you know the people you work with or family members who are not into ufos right mm-hmm. just your average person say hey did you hear about government disclosure of ufos they said ufos are real most people are going to be like huh no, or wait, yeah, I think I did hear something. And then they'll move on to the sports game or Britney Spears or, you know, Man, the latest reality show. It happens to me all the time when uh, the show un- um, you know, was unidentified about the Tic Tac video was on. 
And I was watch, I would watch it. My wife would be sitting there. I'd say, like, look, look, it's real. It's real. And she'd be like, okay. And then she'd go back to <laughs> whatever she was doing. Yeah, which our government thinks they're being pretty sneaky. But actually, I think the ETs are being even sneakier because this was able to be slipped into society without creating a wave. Because people are, like, not responding to this because UFOs are saturating our culture. Look at our top 10 movies. I think it's five or more of them. The top grossing films in all history have ETs in them. Hmm. Um, the best-selling science fiction novels, commercials, it's in video games. It's everywhere. It's in candy. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I think ETs have been very successful in their publicity campaign. Look at our younger generation, you know, the, the kids. They all know UFOs are real. Um, they don't have to even see them. They're, they pretty much believe that this yeah. is a real phenomena. So we're at a point now, I think we're at a tipping point where we are going to see some real disclosures. I hope so. Yeah, I do too. Um, do you think there's been collaboration between governments and ETs? For sure. For 100% for sure. I think that's where they went first. Take me to your leader is a cliche that is absolutely true. And we've had indication of this from, I mean, UFOs have been around forever, right? We know this from hieroglyphics and middle, medieval wood carvings and petroglyphs and Renaissance paintings. But really, the atomic age escalated everything come around the mid-1940s when we started messing around with atomics, the UFOs came in very large numbers and immediately made contact with world leaders. We right. know this because the number of reports came out as soon as this happened. The ultimate case of this kind is the Eisenhower meeting at Edwards Air Force Base in 1954, uh, I think it was? Yeah. Uh, which, you know, was covered up, but... Mm -hmm. Alt immediately there was like six sources who, you know, Navy guys, some of the people who were there, some of the military guys came out immediately and said, oh, something went down at Edwards. And uh, some researchers jumped on this. Brinsley Lepore Trench, he was one of the first. Uh, Mead Lane, Gerald Light. Uh, they started getting this information out and more and more researchers have looked into this and almost all of them have come away convinced and pieces, puzzle pieces are continuing to be placed here that we did have face-to-face -face meetings with human-looking ETs. Eisenhower was there. A lot of very big movers and shakers in society. Einstein, I think, and the Brookings, people from the Brookings Institute. Uh, a lot of major level scientists and world leaders were there. And there are cases in across the United States at Holloman Air Force Base, there mm -hmm. was supposedly a meeting and other areas. And I'm sure it's not just the US. So they went to the leaders, they tried to disclose. This is what supposedly they wanted to do was it's time to disclose. And we said, no, please don't. It'll destroy our religion and our society and economics. And they, they said, you know, we asked, can we have your technology? And they're like, no, you need spiritual information. That's what you need. 
You really need to learn how to take care of your planet. And so there was sort of a negotiation, which didn't go well. And then it, it ended up going even worse when ETs, apparently the Greys, made a, another sort of diplomatic negotiation in exchange for technology we gave them they would allow us our government would allow them to abduct us right i've heard so this there was a treaty of some sort right and this sounded really fringy and kind of conspiracy minded when i first heard of it even though it was coming from john lear pretty reputable source and, <laughs> I've, talk, uh, I've, I've talked with john before yeah i mean he's he was one of the one who's who first revealed this i'm not mm -hmm. sure if he was the first but it's since been talked about by a lot of researchers and there seems i've got first-hand abduction cases where the et said this directly oh yes we had a treaty there was a case in japan a guy was taken on board and, and he had a long conversation with these guys and they said flat out yes there's a treaty they we gave them some of our technology and in exchange we are allowed to contact you and uh we are just not allowed to reveal our presence in an official capacity. So my point is, yes, there's absolutely been government contact, open official contact within military circles, but since our government has decided to take the path of lying and not disclosing and being, you know, not being transparent, the ETs are like, okay, they were smarter then I think our government realized, because by allowing uh, contact to take place, they've done a very widespread grassroots movement. A lot of people are having contact. And now everyone knows everything that the government is trying to cover up, because the ETs went to the people directly. Mm -hmm. And they took them on board the craft, and they told them our planet is in trouble. They have taking people to the engine room and they tell them exactly how these craft work over and over again. This is the second most common sort of uh, agenda or procedure that people have beyond the physical examination. First it's warnings and then it's let's take them to the engine room. Let's tell them why they don't need fossil fuels and show them how we, they can use electromagnetics. And beyond that, the third agenda is, you know, spiritual information. Over and over again, this is what they're doing. So yeah, there has been open official contact within military circles, not open official contact among people at large, but very widespread contact to where at least, you know, I said one in 40, one in 50 is what the Roper poll found out uh, after doing a survey. But talking to contactees, uh, some of them feel pretty much everybody to you know, 30% maybe, I think it's somewhere around there uh, that who have had really direct contact and may not even know it. You know, a lot of, like Star Trek got a lot of things right. And I wonder about Gene Roddenberry, where he got a lot of these ideas. Mm -hmm. Because uh, a lot of the stuff we see on that series is actually right on from, you know, the healing technology to transporter beams to humanoid aliens, to uh, the mission of, or the, uh, you know, the rule of non-interference. Oh, yeah, yep. <laughs> the prime directive. The prime directive, yeah. So, 
I think that, you know, like science fiction is so hugely popular. Uh, I wonder about that as well, because that came hand in hand with the whole UFO movement. Yeah, absolutely. Have you ever, uh, what is your take? Uh, I'm sure you've heard of it. The, the uh, Valiant Thor? Uh, Valley of Thor? I Valiant Thor. He, he was supposed Oh, Valiant. Oh, yeah. yeah Valiant. Valiant. I, thought, I, thought you said, I thought you said Valley of. <laughs> no, no. The Thor. No, Valiant Thor. Yeah, I looked into it. I met Frank Stranges. And I have to tell you, when I got involved in the UFO field, it wasn't super welcoming. A lot of these guys were very political and abrasive and controlling. And like, who, who is this young upstart? You know, get out of my face. And I'm like, come on. I'm just, you know, an innocent guy who's interested in what's going mm-hmm. on. And uh, learned about politics coming into this field. <laughs> um, honestly, I did. I'm like, wow, you know, I was pretty naive. I was a young man when I got involved. I was 21 years old and thought people loved each other and was pretty shocked to find out that there was power struggles and met Frank Strangius. And he was the warmest, nicest, most sincere, honest guy. Well, you know, I was really pleased because, you know, there are good guys in this field for sure. And he was one of them. And then I found his story. I'm like, wow, this is a weird story. Frank Stranges. And uh, I tend to think there's validity to it. I I do. Uh, Because, I mean, not only because he was just a sincere, nice guy, but uh, I know other researchers. The the guy who followed it up, what's his name, uh, who became sort of his protege, Craig Campabasso. Mm Mm-hmm who put out a film about Stranger at the Pentagon, uh, which was very well received. So people are resonating with the Valiant Thor story. And it makes sense that there are human looking ETs within government, not only on a sort of an ambassador level, but perhaps even more infiltration wise, uh, where we have people within probably all levels of society who are not earthlings as we would think of them uh-huh. but our actual ets undercover um, that's really interesting um with yes some probably reptilians too <laughs> i worry about <laughs> the not good guys right yeah like, I, I remember you know the the, the uh a wave of videos i guess it was late 90, oh, crash happened in the mid 2000s, like around 2004, 2005. There was a lot of videos going around of uh, politicians sort of like shape shifting. Yeah. But but there were obviously hoaxes. Yeah. People were latching onto the glitches on digital. Mm-hmm. TVs and stuff I'm like, hey, look, that person looks like a reptilian. I'm like, oh, that looks like a glitch to me. <laughs> <laughs> but then again, you hear some accounts that that make you wonder because it's sort of the a favorite mo, a technique that government disinformation agents use is to say something that's flat out true and has just been spilled in a really credible way. Right. And just frost it, coat it over with disinformation. That's like um, oh, the guy from Smashing Pumpkins. This is his name. I can't think of his name right now, but he claims to have been having sex with a, a woman, and 
uh, during sex, she had transformed into a reptilian, and he saw <laughs> it. Wow. There's a, there are a number of cases where people do claim to have amorous encounters with ETs, uh, and uh, reproduction is definitely a focus on a lot of these cases. It's not at all unusual for someone to contact me and say, you know, I was eight months pregnant at the time. I just had my baby. I was mm-hmm. you know, ready to pop. And, uh, Billy Corgan, that's who it was. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was on the Howard Stern show he was talking about it. Yeah, and I, I know people who said similar things. You know, I had sex with a gray or there was a beautiful human-looking E.T. There's a case in Florida. A lady who was conservative said she somehow got seduced by this gorgeous man at a gas station, took him home. She couldn't believe it. You know, they're having sex. Next thing, she looks in the mirror and this darn guy did not look the same in the mirror <laughs> at all. He was a gray. It was a gray alien um, who was apparently putting on some sort of screen memory or mm-hmm. disguise or shape-shifting or what have you. Uh, there's that element to this, uh, which I wonder about. Right. Or even simple telepathy, you know. Yeah. You know, to they, alter yeah. the way they look. They're walking among us. Um, this is something I kind of decided that was real after writing these books on various states because i got a couple of cases in california i thought "Eh." but it was ufos over nevada that kind of freaked me out and and new york for that matter Mm -hmm. uh, because uh i started getting cases where people were seeing ets where you shouldn't be seeing them please no like in a casino um i got a five cases of people who said that they saw ets in casinos flat out uh, not human-looking beings uh, who are walking around undetected and for some reason. Uh, people weren't looking at them, or maybe they had screen memories, but some people could see that these were very unusual-looking people. And there's photographs in one case coming from a casino guard who was, looking at, who was freaking out all the people who were sort of watching this one table in a casino in Las Vegas because there were these two kind of short, bald-looking guys in weird clothes <laughs> with weird eyes standing next to the table, and uh, no one seemed to notice. And this guy actually snuck out photographs of this. Clipping oh, I'll, have to, this I'll have to look that up. I want to see that. Yeah, Misha Johnston was the researcher who got this out there. Hmm. Uh, and it's very strange. And if you look I wonder at, why do you like casinos of all things? <laughs> right? Maybe because it's a place they can go undetected. You know, I, like there's all these movies where they come out on Halloween or Mardi Gras or stuff. And I have to laugh because there are cases where this happens. There was a lady who, in New York who saw a gray on a subway. Um, this is a case from Bud Hopkins, uh-huh. another who was abducted out of an outdoor diner on a sidewalk in New York City. Another lady who reported her case to, I think it was MUFON, uh, where she saw an alien at Penn Station, <laughs> which is crowded with people. Yeah, I can see them pulling it off at Penn Station. <laughs> so this, I, I always keep an eye out for unusual looking people now. There's a very famous case, which is very well known in the field. It's uh, John Salter, John Hunter Gray, who had an encounter at Richland Center, Wisconsin, with his son, also John Salter Jr. Mm-hmm. And 
he uh, had this typical abduction by Grays. He said it was a very much brief encounter. He was taken on board, physically examined, injected, returned to his car, was buried in amnesia. Uh, they recovered their memories naturally some weeks later, just spontaneously remembered. He experienced over 20 physiological improvements from everything from cuts healing faster to his hair growing more and he grew like three inches. His feet grew in size, stopped getting sick. He quit smoking. I mean, I could go on, but it was a real health benefit to him and his son. He's a very outspoken in the field. He was a civil rights activist. There's that pattern again. Mm -hmm. Uh, but right before this encounter occurred, he had something very strange happen at the gas station. And this is where I know they're walking among us. Because they pulled into the gas station and there was a guy next to them in a VW bug. And we're like, wow, look at how short this guy was. He was under five feet tall. He was wearing a fisherman's cap, which covers your head and your ears and everything. Mm -hmm. And dark, you know, huge sunglasses, which covered most of his face. And he had this little slit of a mouth and kind of pale skin. And he was staring at them. And he was close enough where he could see through the sunglasses at these kind of beady eyes, which were unusual looking and gave him kind of a, a chill, especially the way this guy was looking at him and just being peculiar. And I thought that was odd. And it, got, and it went from there. They left this gas station and darned if this guy didn't follow them down the road um, into a relatively remote area. And then, you know, he... He slowed way down, hoping this guy would pass. Nope, the guy slowed down. So he sped up. The guy sped up. And so this is another thing we see with UFOs chasing cars down the highway. It was weird. So the guy finally turns off at a T intersection somewhere. And boom, the flying saucer shows up and abducts them. And they link that incident at the gas station to what happened to them. They think it was an ET. That's strange. One of the things, like like one of I've, one of the things that pops into my mind when I hear these story about them just sort of like walking around, is I wonder if our own government is doing genetic experiments and some of the experiments um, that they they do escape. Yeah, they go running around in public and then they have to go catch them. La chupacabra. That's <laughs> <laughs> one I, that I kind of wonder if it's a government experiment because that sort of was new. That just came out of the blue, a weird cryptozoological creature. Also dog man. Like uh, I never heard of dog man until like a few months ago. Yeah. That upset me. <laughs> I'm like, what werewolves? No. And uh, Linda Godfrey, I, she has done some incredible research into this. And I have to tell you, when I heard about it, I was like, Oh God, really? And I, I started getting cases. I have like two, two cases of people who've seen what they describe as dogmen. And I had to interview them for a while before they were forthcoming because <laughs> a lot of people know how cruel skeptics can be. Uh, the whole debunking campaign has been very effective in silencing people. So people won't, aren't coming forward to say that they've been healed or taken to another planet or seen a dogman. And I think for sure our government is all over genetics. 
uh, and really interested in it. And there's a huge cover up about what they know about this. And uh, Area 51 is a real thing uh, that sort of was kept quiet until the late 1980s. And even then you couldn't find information on it. And people have, are still having a lot of trouble finding anything about this. Mm-hmm. Thank God for the whistleblowers who have really come out. Because so, now we know it goes on levels and they are doing genetic experiments there. Do you, that are do you think that, that, that people who go to clinics for in vitro fertilization are putting themselves at risk for unwittingly partaking in a genetic experiment? Sometimes. Um, I do too. I know, I know that there are, well, I've talked, there was a case that I investigated in Topanga Canyon. It was during a wave of sightings where these people had this object landing next to their house. And she was having weird dreams about being on board. I'm like, uh-oh, these are all red flags. And so I'm like, oh gosh, please let me interview you. And uh, she's like, sure. And uh, I was actually camping out next to their house hoping to see this thing. Uh, I... And they had this incredible story. It turned out she was pregnant with twins at the time her encounter started. I'm like, oh, red flag, red flag. ETs love twins. There's a whole twin thing in this phenomena. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely my ears were pricked at this time. And uh, she says, well, we lost one in utero. And I'm like, oh, my God. And the doctors t- told her that chances of carrying the one to full term, the, the remaining baby, were one in five million. And this is when her encounters really started. I'm thinking to myself, oh my gosh, did the ETs take her baby? This could very well have happened. Because that certainly happens a lot. Missing pregnancies. Got a lot of cases of that. And so I'm thinking, okay, here's what's going on. This is, you know what, this genetic thing again. She had her child. He's beautiful, precocious, very blonde, blue-eyed, um, just gorgeous child, very psychic. I think a hybrid, honestly. Uh, and uh, her encounters were largely benevolent. You know, she f- talked to these guys. The ETs told her there's going to be upcoming disasters. They told her the political system is falling apart. Please don't be a part of it. At the time, she was a huge supporter of Ross Perot. And they said, listen, pull out. At some point, there might even be a civil war over this, uh, which we're you know, now moving towards. It's right. freaking me out. Yeah. Because this was years ago. And uh, she goes to the doctor and, uh, you know, has her baby and everything's fine. But the nurse at some point sneaks into her room and says, gosh, I shouldn't be telling you this. They told me not to talk and told her that her uh, lab reports were, were causing waves were, and were being scooped up and sent to some government lab and uh, were causing a lot of attention and she couldn't find out why. And she's like, well, is there something special about you? You know, Because the doctors are freaking out about your case. And I'm like, wow. Because I you know, was not long after that, I interviewed another couple from uh, Canada who had searched and searched for a researcher and finally found someone who was willing to listen and you know, wasn't just interested in, quote, their story. They wanted mm-hmm. help. They had had the same experience. She was seven and a half months pregnant when she lost her baby following an encounter. And the doctors, you know, they were having all kinds of trouble getting medical insurance and uh, stuff because she was uh, from another country. She was from Europe and they had moved 
uh, to the Americas and we're just having trouble with red tape and the doctors, of course, and the whole medical system and had this experience, experience, you know, they're going to the doctor, they're pregnant. It's all verified. The midwife, she sent me pictures, doctor's reports and everything. And uh, they had this nursery set up. They told their family. I mean, it was seven and a half months. Usually when someone has this experience, it's thir- they lose their baby maybe three months or less, two months or four months is usually the outside of this. But no, seven and a half months, they were okay with it. You know, they actually felt pretty benevolent about the whole experience. But go, go to the doctors and the doctor's like, well, you're not pregnant. What happened? And uh, they denied anything thing that's quote you know ufo related they're like we don't Mm -hmm. know we don't know but boy were the doctors interested and they bumped them up to you know oh insurance no problem we don't care you know we'll take you here here please can we take you come in again you know we need to examine you can we examine you again and uh, they started to catch on that boy there's an awful lot of interest in us what is going on and they finally pulled out and the doctors left them with the note that oh if you're ever pregnant again you know free Come to us, you know, no problem. <laughs> and so uh, they know something's going on. Yeah, so I think there are certain circles where doctors are aware of this, as far as like implants. You know, this turns up in MRIs all the time. One guy had been implanted, he was pretty sure of it. He was a nurse, so he was able to like look into this in a way that's perhaps more in depth than the average person got some MRIs done, found these things in his brain. And the MRI, the guys who read the x-rays are like, well, we do see these pretty regularly. We don't know what they are. We don't think they're anomalies in terms of, you know, the x-ray machine or the MRI machine uh, because they're consistent. And they diagnose them as foreign bodies is what they think they are, but they don't know what they are. Hmm. And we know, as UFO researchers and experiencers, we pretty much know. I mean, the ETs have said flat out what they are. They're implants. And we know the purpose of them, too. It's not to locate or track, though that may be one of the purposes. I don't think that's the primary purpose. Um, from, it's my understanding, having talked to the people who've had this experience and who got actual firsthand information from the horse's mouth, ETs told them, that the purpose for implants is manyfold. There's multiple reasons, but the primary one is monitoring health in some you know, degree to monitor our vitals, to measure the levels of pollution, to boost our immune system, this sort of thing. In fact, there's evidence to speak towards this. I interviewed one lady from Nebraska. She sneezed and had felt this thing come out of her nose and looked at it, it was this little metallic cylinder. It's like, oh, it gave her this real fear. She'd had a number of UFO experiences. Right. She kind of knew and she tossed it away. There's this really strong impulse to make people toss these things away, uh, which is very interesting. Some of them put them in little envelopes and stuff and, or hide them in a little container and then they disappear. Uh, or it'll just dissolve right in front of them. Mm-hmm. Um, case after case of this. And no sooner does she spit her implant out or cough it out, sneeze it out. Uh, one lady did cough hers out, by the way. Uh, she started to suffer real bad health problems. And it got worse and worse. She had an undiagnosed hypoglycemic-like illness where her blood sugar was just fluctuating all over the place. 
and it wasn't diabetes, which runs in her family. They said it wasn't hypoglycemia. They didn't know what it was, but she lost an enormous amount of weight and was, it was getting dangerous. And she, she would eat and she'd pass out and she'd pass out if she didn't eat. And uh, so it was getting to be in a pretty alarming situation. And that's when she was abducted out of her living room while she's walking across the floor <laughs> to get a snack. Uh, she had to keep food with her at all times. Uh, orange juice and peanut butter was her kind of go-to. And uh, boom, she finds herself in this giant auditorium. It's not a UFO like we would think of it. There was industrial carpet. And it was huge. It was indirect lighting. Uh, she was on a table in a cubicle. She's peering over the top and she says, oh my God, there's 100 cubicles here. You know, 200. It was vast. And directly across the corridor from her was another man. He's just this average guy in a plaid shirt. He was dazed and disoriented, as was she. You know, she's struggling to orient herself because she'd just been in her house. And she's like waking up after being drugged. And she looks down the corridor, peeks out, and sees this guy striding towards her. And he's not human. <laughs> um, there were other people there. She couldn't see them because she saw this guy and just stared at him in horror because he was nine feet tall. Just maybe Ooh. eight feet. Could have been nine feet. Could maybe taller. But she's estimating about nine feet. And not human. He was humanoid. But his face was much too large. He had very strange eyes a very broad chin, a huge forehead, wearing kind of tight, shiny black clothes, a cape, and uh, just very strange looking. He walks right up to her, turns into her cubicle. She falls back on her table there, and he says, now it's your turn, Jill. And that sent her into screaming fits, and he wraps this, what she thought was a cape, around her body and starts inserting these silver bell-like instruments over her pancreas, over her liver, over her you know, whole uh, chest area, the whole torso. And it starts pulsing electricity or energy. She can feel it. It's unpleasant. And she's screaming bloody murder. She you know, thinks this is the end. This is not fun for her. And wakes up at some point. She passes out and wakes up. She's back in her living room hyperventilating, you know, covered in sweat, freaking out, realizes she's back in her house. She's like, what the heck just happened? Runs to her husband, and he won't wake up. Runs to her children, they won't wake up. It takes her half an hour to wake up her family. God bless them. They were supportive. Mm -hmm. People you know, get divorced over this. Not <laughs> unusual. They lose their children. I mean, seriously, they'll be put in mental institutions. Uh, but she was supported. Her now, she's had a number of encounters before this and since. But following this incident, she was very sore for about a week. But she felt better and took her about two days before she noticed she hadn't passed out. And she instantly started gaining weight. And she leveled off pretty quickly. Two weeks later, she was back to normal health. She believes she, you know, I think she was probably re-implanted. And that was the whole purpose of it. But mm -hmm. she definitely... Was absolutely convinced she was healed. And she's like, why me? I'm just a housewife. My, my, my husband's a, I think he was a mechanic or a factory worker. You know, because often I'll see like people who are having encounters are, might have military intelligence within their mm -hmm. family. 
which kind of freaks me out. I'm like, why is there such a high number of military intelligence with, among the abductee population? That's weird. You know, one of the things that I've always questioned is that maybe like, like some um, elite people or rich people or corporate people um, make deals with the ETs and allow them to take their children and experiment on them. Yeah, um, there's some, you know, there's the, my labs. You may have heard of that sort of thing, the military abducting people. I think that does happen with that. Mm-hmm. People will, you know, sacrifice their own darn children. Oh, that's got to be bad karma. <gasps> uh, <laughs> and I think my labs do occur. And I think there's some extraterrestrial involvement with some of this because there are people who have been abducted and seen people in full military dress, a colonel watching the whole abduction take place. And I wonder about that. Uh, but I have to tell you, the people I've talked to have experienced my labs or being you know, abducted by aliens and then abducted by the military uh, fear the military far more than the ETs. Certainly, probably what, should you know, it sounds like. Yeah, yeah that's what Lycia Davidson said. I talked to her. She's like, yeah, I've been abducted. And then after I'm abducted, every time the military shows up, drug me and make me tell everything. I hate them. And uh, Melinda Leslie, she saw Colonel on board the craft while she was being abducted. And uh, was able to you know, get a good look at him and get an idea of his insignias and stuff and figured it out. So this does occur. Uh, there are researchers out there who think abductions don't happen and then it's just military mind control. Hell no. You're out of your mind. Do some research. There's no way. Abductions have been, been occurring for far too long. They're far too widespread. So many people haven't gone public. And if there's a guy I talked to from Texas who was just an eight-year-old paper delivery boy when he got taken. No way is the military doing that all across. They would need an army of people. They would need an incredible amount of technology. The numbers just don't add up. Uh, There's no way this is military. Uh, I think a portion of it is, but most of it, no. Mm. We're flying it around. Yeah, we're definitely flying these craft around. That worries me. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, I... It's, it's weird. Like I've heard stories about like the military, you know, flying the crafts, um, staging abductions, yeah. even going so, as far as, as as wearing like like dressing up as greys to do whatever it is they're doing. Yeah, this is a very clever disinformation ploy. I think the agenda behind it is to make the greys look evil. Like, mm-hmm. oh, look at they're doing weird sexual genetic experiments on us. <sighs> they're trying to take over. And uh, yes, they are interested in reproduction. Yes, they are taking people. And there is a kidnapping aspect to this, which is a little disconcerting to say the least, because you can't justify that in any way. I mean, there's no rationalizing that. Uh, there's sort of this movement like, ah, oh, maybe people had pre-life agreements or they agreed subconsciously. Well, that may be true. And I think probably is true. But once you're on earth and you've lost all your memories of your past lives and 
or pre-life agreements or something, and these ETs are taking you, it's a different story. I don't think ETs are kidnapping people against their will in an effort to hurt them or mm -hmm. take over our planet. This is what the MyLab group wants us to believe. And there is a very strong thread of uh, going through this for rumors are flying now about a false flag operation coming up where there's going to be a landing. There's going to be a ET attack. Don't believe it. Don't believe it for a second. I can tell you, uh, you know, from a military standpoint, I can see why the government is upset. They're shutting down their missiles, their nuclear missiles. That's got to be upsetting. <laughs> They're hovering over our military bases. They've mapped all our strongholds, all our power sources, all our water supplies. From a military standpoint, they're like, ooh, this is a national security threat, big time, which is why Blue Book came out and said, no national security threat. <laughs> the Condon Committee, oh, no, nothing here, not a national security threat. That was their big statement. There is no national security threat, which was a 180 degree lie. It was a national and is, from their standpoint, a national security threat. So I feel like they feel like there is a chance that these ETs could take over if they wanted to, which we think, I mean, probably they could, but they've been around for thousands of years. Our race has probably been manipulated if not created by them. Uh, but no, they're not taking over. There's just no way. They are trying their best to improve our genetic stock. Honestly, this is something or, I Or hear. maybe just trying to preserve their creation. Yeah, exactly. Our lifespan has doubled in the last 100 years. That might not be a coincidence. There's a case from Florida, a guy by the name of Jim, who is having regular contacts with Grays. Enough where he's like, fine, you know, take me. What are you doing? You know, he's talking to them. Here they come again, they show up. He's like, if you're going to take me, fix my hernia. I'm like, oh, <laughs> we know of this condition you, that you speak of, and we will repair it. It's almost a direct quote. You know, I may have gotten a few words wrong there, but that's what they told him, and they fixed it. He's like, wow, why are you taking me? Because you know, he's talking to them. And he says, why are you so interested in me? Why me? Which is the million-dollar question for a lot of abductees, experiencers. And they told him. They told him flat out, we are interested in your genetic, there's that word, propensity to live a long time. And I thought, wow, that's cool. That really piques my interest because I've heard a lot of people say this sort of thing. And it turned out his grandfather was 106 and alive and kicking and intelligent and active. And that makes me wonder if that other guy I interviewed from Missouri who said, oh, the ETs, you know, I'm, I'm 80 years old. I went to the doctor. The doctor's amazed. He says, I have the heart of a 17-year-old. He says, I think the ETs are keeping me healthy. <laughs> and I've heard this over and over again. So this is why I think the ETs aren't trying to hurt people. They're not here to take over. This, we're very precious to them. Very precious. And... Uh, our government doesn't want us to, I don't know if it's our government per se, you know, there are a lot of people within government who are wonderful people, but there is a very small minority of people who are evil in the true sense of the word, satanic, perhaps, you know, in the true sense of the word satanic, deeply delusional and misguided. 
and immoral, amoral, planning on doing things and are doing things which are horrific. Uh, and uh, we are, you know, hopefully this is their last hurrah and this won't go down, but it's a real danger. There are people who are suffering. I think the whole world is suffering because of this. And if there is, in essence, a battle between good and evil, and uh, I wonder about this. You know, people talk about, you know, Jesus coming back in a rapture-like event. And I wonder if this stems from, you know, actual ET contacts stretching back centuries. One lady I interviewed, ETs told her flat out, her case is amazing. She got so much information. I'm still great friends with her. ETs told her what you think of as the angels in a lot of cases was actually us. They said that flat out. Yeah, we've been genetically manipulating humanity for millennia. Animals too. They said we've genetically manipulated dogs and cats specifically just for you to boost their emotional intelligence so that they can relate better to humans. That was fascinating to me because there's all sorts of research going on now about dogs and cats and their emotional intelligence and how intelligent they really are. They told her that if people should start disappearing from the planet, don't worry, it's for the universal good, and it's us doing it. Well, that's happening now, isn't it? A lot of missing people. Yeah, that's one of the things that comes up sometimes often, too, is like a lot of people are going missing in state parks. Right? David Paulides was one of the red flag waivers about this, like raising the flag, I mean. What's going on? The guys, look into this. Look into this. I talked to him personally. I, I, I liked him. I thought he had a good energies. Uh, definitely seems uh, to have hit upon something here. And this is what the ETs have told. You know, I call her Lynette. That's not her real name. But they told her directly, yeah, we're taking people. And I've got other cases where our, you know, people have gone voluntarily on board and never seen again. So I think a portion of the missing persons phenomena is actually really good news. And this is kind of like the rapture, isn't it? Uh, where people suddenly start disappearing. Mm -hmm. uh, so that, you know, in terms of ET intervention, I don't know that we should rely on them to solve our problems. I, are they going to let us blow ourselves up with nuclear, you know, a nuclear holocaust? I don't think so. They weren't, didn't intervene for Chernobyl, really, or they may have. You know, Three Mile Island, where were they? And then I looked up MUFON. I think it was in MUFON in their database. Or New Fork was one of those. Pretty sure it was MUFON. A guy saw a UFO over the Three Mile Island plant. And it was the next day that they said, oh, we've, we've contained it. It's contained. And uh, he connects it to this. And UFOs are all about nukes. They're, you mm -hmm. cannot find a nuclear power station where they haven't hovered over <laughs> They yeah, are I mean, top of it. They may have already, you know, intervened, like in like Three Mile Island or Fukushima or um, I think so. Chernobyl. You know, there are some photographs associated with uh, Fukushima as well, and I know that for a, well, I don't want to say fact, but I strongly suspect and believe. Now, there's a difference between belief and knowledge. You either know or you don't. <laughs> I don't know this for sure, but I interviewed a lady by the name of Pat originally from Florida, moved to Louisiana, lifelong encounters, taken on board. She called them her UFO dreams. That was sort of how she dealt with it. 
she, she kind of knew they were real because she'd seen them, her friend had seen them, she had missing time. It's a lifelong thing. Uh, taken on board by Grays, physically examined, the whole deal. Once has this experience, which was one of her quote UFO dreams. This is November 1985. She wakes up and she's not on board a UFO as normally happens. She's standing next to one, a very large one. There's a human looking guy in a blue jumpsuit. She knows instantly he's an ET. He just, uh, there's grays walking around. There's another UFO a couple of hundred yards. It's also landed. And she's not in the United States, she doesn't think. She's looking down over this village, this town, which is pretty large, but it's not your average U.S. town. It looks South America. She's thinking, you know, Mexico, Peru, Colombia. She's not sure. And uh, she knows she's on a mission. She's got to work with these guys. For some reason, she just knows this is what is happening. She doesn't question. She's strangely sedated. This is another thing we see. And she goes with this human-looking E.T. into the village, into people's homes, and takes them on board the UFO. First one family and then another, just leading them like the Pied Piper into this UFO. She says it was very strange. No one protested. No one questioned everything. E.T.s were very much controlling everything in terms of, I think, hypnotically here, or just convincing people to go however they do it, which is what we see with abductions, certainly. And uh, she says probably a thousand people and uh, more than that, because there was two UFOs and they were vast. They were multi-layered, huge, like little buildings. Mm -hmm. uh, but your basic standard saucer. And finally the ramp goes up. They're all going inside. She's taken to an upper level. Most of the people are on the lower levels, but she, she's special because she's working with them. Because there's all kinds of people that they had rescued, but there was grays and human-looking ETs of different races as well. You know, blacks and Asians and Latinos and the whole deal, which was really cool and interesting. And this, these two craft lift up, and there's a huge explosion, um, not too far off in the distance, and it's a volcano. The volcano is erupting and it sends this pyroclastic cloud and this wave of mud and ash and debris comes sweeping down over this village. She said it was horrible. It was terrible. It was dreadful. There was, you know, houses and trees and ice and animals and mud and it just swept over this town, killing everybody that was still in this town. And, uh, there was a lot of people there. She watched it happen. And these craft came down again and picked up a few more survivors. There weren't many by this time, but they pulled out who they could out of the mud or who was ever on higher ground. And uh, next thing she knows, she's back in her home in Louisiana, and this thing has landed in her driveway. And one of the grades is escorting her off and puts her in her bed, and she, goes, she falls asleep. Wakes up the next morning. She's like, oh, my God, that was a weird one. And ru rushes to call her friend. Mm -hmm. Says, oh, my gosh, you know, my, this happened. I had a UFO dream. You're not going to believe this one. And starts to describe, um, starts to describe her uh, experience. And her friend says, hang up. Hang up right now and turn on the news. Hang up right now, Pat. You've got to turn on the TV. And so Pat hangs up the phone, turns on the TV, and just gets a cold chill and turns pale and nearly falls over. Because 
There is her dream on the news. It turned out the Nevada Del Ruiz volcano had just exploded. It swept over the town of Armero in Colombia and at last count killed some 27,000 people. Now, <laughs> this sent her to the psychologist. Uh, it seriously did. She was so upset she had PTSD from it. She could not stop thinking about it. She's, I'm like, well, what do you think happened to all these people? And she was in your tears, like, I don't know. You know, I don't know. I'm like, do you think they got put back on Earth? She says, I don't see how. There was an awful lot of them. They'd have to wipe all of their memories. There were a lot of questions. It looks like they rescued these people. They intervened in a wide-scale natural disaster to pull people off of Earth and relocate them? I don't know. We don't know what happened to them. There are a lot of cases of people being rescued. I wonder rescued. if they're reseeding another planet with humans. I think so. I do. I've, ta you know, I've talked to a Native American guy. He says he went to their planet and that's what happened. There was another guy who said, oh, E.T. told him, we t he had like a week of missing time. E.T. told him, we took you to our planet. And it's like, well, why didn't you let me remember? It said you wouldn't survive it. You would go crazy because uh, you would not be able to live back on Earth. You would you know, die of homesickness. You would die, literally. You would not be able to handle it. Uh, so we're doing it for your own benefit. And uh, that upset him. But uh, this is, you know, this is, I think, one of the main reasons behind missing time is not to cover their tracks in a nefarious way but to protect people's psychological state, um, honestly, because it can be very traumatic. And the human, one guy was abducted and the ETs were really surprised they remember, he remembered. He says, you know, most people just block this out. It's not us doing it, it's them. Which I thought, mm, not sure I believe this in most cases, because in many cases they say, you will not remember this until it's time. You won't remember this. They told this to one lady, and she says, I will remember. I said, no, 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 you won't, you won't, you won't remember. And she said, oh, yeah, I will. And she did. She called me up. She's like, they took me. You know, they tried, did an operation in my brain. I remember all of it. She remembered being on board. And they tried to erase her memory, but were not able to do it. Wow. She said, I think they're religious. They were very interested in my personal life. They gave her prophecies about what would happen to her with her boyfriend, her church group, um, her job. And all of which came true. So they, she's like, I just wish they would knock on the door and come that way. Hmm. Which, which I found funny because they have done that in cases. They did that to Whitley Strieber. They did that to Stan Romanek. And it didn't really change things. People still got in a weird state of fear. Still had troubles with amnesia. Because uh, ETs do have an interdimensional aspect. You know, they have a hard time being physical on this planet. And uh, just being next to them can put you in sort of the delta state. And if you're not, you know, advanced spiritually in, with consciousness, you could just black out just from the sheer energy of it. Um, so that could be a factor in this missing time thing. That, that, that makes a lot of sense that maybe just being near them changes our, our brainwave state. Yeah, I think it does. Um, I'm not entirely convinced about all of this because I've come to the point where I look at each case individually. Even, you know, the grays, people say grays. I'm like, well, let's 
back up here and say, Grace, how tall were they? Did they have emotions? You know, did they feel emotional to you? Um, did they seem robotic? You know, because there are different types of grays for sure. Look at humans. Look at our genetic variation between the Watusi and the Pygmies. There's what six feet of difference there, mm-hmm. just about uh, five feet, I should say, or four. But still, uh, and if you look at the whole, you know, primate phenomena, unknown primates, Bigfoot you know, skunk apes, Cro-Magnon, Neanderthal. Mm-hmm. I did a book on this. And I thought, yeah, probably Bigfoot is real. And that was another thing I was dragged into kicking and screaming. I'm like, no, no, I don't want to investigate Bigfoot. It might be real. I don't want to. Because <laughs> that's going to open a can of worms. And sure enough. And what I think even sort of escapes some of the Bigfoot researchers is, you know, it's not just Bigfoot as we think of it. It's unknown hominids. If you look at the cases coming from Africa, it's not Bigfoot, it's people <laughs> with, that look like us, but Cro-Magnon-like. Um, maybe hairy, yeah, but not always completely covered in hair and you know, beating their chest. And, and even in America or whatever culture, the main theme is a strong intelligence, you know, a sentience. Being like us, they might not have technology as we, you know, do, but they're not stupid like an animal. No, these are the missing links. These, are, you know, Cro-Magnon might not be extinct. Seriously, I know how that sounds, but if you look at the anthropology mainstream, which mm-hmm. <laughs> the way it's taught in schools, what a joke! I was going to major in anthropology. I took a bunch of classes. I loved science. I got out of it because they could not make up their minds. Seriously. I'm like, what is going on here? They kept moving the age of modern humans farther and farther back. Finally, I found a book by Michael Cremo, Forbidden Archaeology, and I just about had a fit because it turned out uh, the whole field is filled with lies and cover-ups. And anything that goes against the mainstream is widely attacked. And now it's getting out. I'm like this, the little hobbits that they found in Indo- Indonesia, right. <laughs> which turned out to be like, what, 20,000 years ago? Or, yeah, they, they have the timeline way off. I'm, I'm certain of that. <laughs> so, yeah, I think it's still going on. And, you know, people worry about humanity going extinct and mass, what, mass extinctions and we're all going to die. No, no, we're sure not. ETs have been collecting genetic materials for decades. They're pulling people off the planet. Humans are not going to go extinct. Earth might have a little bit of a problem for a while, but even Earth is going to be fine. Because mm-hmm. uh, Earth is way more powerful than us. You leave a city alone for, what, 20 years and nature can take right back over. Oh, Yeah. Uh, so I'm not too worried about Earth. I'm not too worried about humanity. I just think we're going to go through some rough times, and it's getting bad right now. Uh, so a lot of people are like blowing, I mean, raising the red flag, saying, "Watch out! Watch out!" Experiencers are saying, "This is it." You know, the preppers. You know, the guys who are all ready for a apocalyptic type event mm-hmm. might just be right. They might be the smart ones. People who've learned to live without money, going off grid, you know, the desperately poor, people who have had such a hard time for millennia 
are, like Jesus said, probably going to inherit the earth because they've learned to live without money. And with the whole banking system shuts down and all the stores close and everything goes to heck, the people who have learned to you know, sort of live on their own uh, with food out of their backyard and you know, without any money, they're going to be the ones who are going to do well. Whereas the people who are in the cities are going to probably be the ones who are, are going to you know, die en masse if this all goes down that direction. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be quite a, that would be quite a turn of events where you know, the richest and powerful people will end up being the most helpless. Um, they are deluded if they think that they can hide underground and protect themselves from wide-scale disaster. I wonder if, you know, if there were to be a nuclear holocaust and this really went the wrong direction ultimately and Earth became uninhabitable and here we have you know, lots of military bases go deep, deep underground. The power elite, these one percenters, you know, just trying to dig in underground if they become the greys. You know, if they ultimately you know, become genetically damaged because you're not going to be able to hide from, say, a EMF, an electromagnetic pulse, an EMP, or a solar flare that mm -hmm. just wipes out everything and all the electronics and just dest destroys everything. Um, there's going to be genetic damage seeping into the human population, which will re render people hairless. We, we know this from you know, damage done to uh, Holocaust survivors. Nuclear Holocaust survivors um, did lose their facial features. You know, their nose falls off. Things, horrible things happen to people genetically from radiation. We know this. And so that could be, I mean, this is what the Greys have said. They were damaged through uh, a war, a horrific uh, disaster of some kind. There's variations of this. Some say nuclear, some say chemical, some say natural disaster. Some are pretty vague about it or the ETs are a little tight-lipped. Uh, but it's the same theme of a huge disaster sent these greys into a tailspin. They had to leave their planet and uh, do space travel, breeded out emotions, lost the ability to reproduce, reproduced by cl cloning, and are now trying to you know, repair themselves. So it's all going down now. This is, I've known about this for decades, and I was wondering, could this possibly be true? When I was a little boy, I became obsessed with disasters, natural disasters. I still you know, have every book on uh, earthquakes and floods and this sort of thing that you can find. I am obsessed, and it's come full circle now. When I started hearing about ET's warning of disaster, I'm like, oh, well, that's strange. I'm, I know about disasters, <laughs> and that's the thing that only, it's not only coming up in ET accounts. Gosh, I'm getting all wired. I'm just going a million miles a minute here. But in uh, near-death encounters, this is what channelers are saying. This is what the Native American elders are saying. Wherever you go to actual, real, first-hand knowledge, this is what they're saying. Scientists are saying this up and down the board. <laughs> People are, who have any kind of knowledge about what might be coming up ahead are all ringing the same bell, same alarm bells. Hmm. So, so it's time to get ready. Yeah. 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 I, like in a way I think it's time to get ready, but at the same time too, 
you know, when a person has knowledge that life, that life's going to, that, that there's life after death, after the physical body is gone, we, we still continue on, you know, I, I think that lessens the trauma of the event. For sure. Yeah. I, I'm all into out-of-body experiences in a huge, huge way. It's one of my main topics. I've written a book on it. I talk about it all the time because I've had a bunch of them. After my mom passed away, I started having these really weird dreams where she'd come to me. They evolved into lucid dreaming and out-of-body experiences. And I've been to the other side and I've explored it extensively. There's a huge body of literature on this. This is a huge thing. And it came along at the same time for me as this UFO research. I don't think it's a coincidence. Uh, I think this is another thing that ETs are really trying to wake up people to. Because uh, often people will start having out-of-body experiences after being contacted. And it changes the way you view the world. It changes your behavior. People become much happier. They're much more altruistic. They're much more empathetic, much more sensitive. I'm not a doom and gloomer. I think we're going to be just fine. The death is a wonderful healing event. People think, oh, it's terrible. It's terrible. I'm like, dude, you have died a hundred times. We all have past lives. I'd say very few people here are on what we would think of as a first life or anything right. like that. You know, And past life is kind of a misnomer. Time is not what we think it is. This is, becomes a readily apparent on the other side when you can travel into the past and see the future and all this kind of stuff. So the fact is, death is a wonderful healing event. And there's a, been a really strong campaign to instill fear in every aspect of our life. Uh, and it's not going to be successful. Not on my watch. No, people do understand, I think, that the near-death experience proves that there is life after death and that we have nothing to worry about. And we can heal ourselves. We can heal ourselves naturally through all kinds of methods. We don't have to rely on these terrible drugs that cause anal leakage and your eyeballs to explode and all these horrible side effects, um, which I think ultimately they're trying to dumb us down or hypnotize us or sedate us. Um, there is a very strong campaign to, on both sides, to, one to wake us up, one to put us to sleep, one to instill fear, one to instill security and knowledge. If you look at the near-death experiences, and case after case, people who are contacted by angels or enlightened masters or their deceased loved ones get the same exact message, is that love is the most important thing. It's the guiding force in your life and knowledge. Love and knowledge will get you through anything. The same thing the ETs are saying. So this is something that I think we should really pay attention to and allow to guide our lives. Um, and racial divisions and political divisions are a joke. What's the difference between Democrats and Republicans? People are freaking out about this. Like, ah, oh, Democrats are gonna destroy the world. Republicans are gonna destroy the world. No, we agree on just about everything. There's a few issues that we could probably have some discussions on, abortion, immigration, a few things like that. But most everything we agree on. We all love our children. We all want healthy food and clean water. 
We don't want war. No, all the things we agree on are the important things. Yes, absolutely. There's a a few issues which are trying to be magnified, which we do still agree on. I think we really do. So these divisions are a complete lie. (laughs) They're not true. (laughs) Uh, I have a lot of friends who are of varying political differences, completely different from me. And I love them to death. You know, I love them dearly. And it means nothing to me, whether you support one candidate or another, whether you're black or white or uneducated or, you know what I mean? None of that means anything. And we know this. We know this on a subconscious level. So that's why I'm not too worried. I think if things really start to go south, people will wake up and turn towards love. And this is what we see in natural disasters. People are like, oh, they will give you the shirt off your back complete strangers. Most of the people on our planet are wonderful, good people. I'm not worried. I'm worried about these one percenters, these a-holes who think that they can do that, pull this off. There's not a chance. The ETs are watching so closely. I think they will intervene. I don't think there there will be a nuclear holocaust. I really don't. Probably not. I don't think there's going to be widespread loss of life. There might be because there are a segment of people who are making bad choices. And if you just drive down the street. But even <laughs> then, the, the, the loss of life is still an only, it's only a temporary loss of life. Yeah. If you've gotten caught into a situation where you're a drug addict and uh, you're damaging yourself, or if you're making choices that are evil and are reversing your good karma, uh, dying might be the best thing for you because boom, you're like dead and suddenly you wake up. You're like, oh, darn. And you're like, wow, this is really nice here on the other side. Mm-hmm. I love it. I'm like, well, no, no, you got to go back. Sorry, you've got some lessons to learn. And boom, they're back to learn the same darn lessons. Yeah, so there's really not a whole lot to worry about. No, no, dying is a wonderful thing. Boy, yeah. I haven't been to the other side. I'm homesick. That's the, that's the only danger of out-of-body experiences, by the way. We all have them every night. A lot of people remember them in the form of dreams. But uh, if you can really remember it, boy, you will remember some, what it's like to be on the other side. It is awesome. It is the most beautiful place you can imagine. It's the most beautiful. I mean, the Garden of Eden is nothing compared to the colors and the sparkles and the feeling of goodness and just the love that permeates these higher dimensions yeah, it's uh, incredible so yeah we're gonna be just fine everyone just needs to wake up and come together it's that simple all right and i think this will be a good spot to kind of wrap it up um where can my listeners find you and find your books hey yeah i appreciate that i do have a website if you google my name it'll take you there preston dennett.weebly.com Got all my books there, excerpts. Books are available on Amazon. You can also contact me through my website if you, you know, got a comment or a question or even better, a story to share. I always love hearing from people. I have a YouTube channel, which I'm having so much fun with. It's, it's exploding. I'm getting to share all my research in a way that's, I think, more accessible for people and cost-free because uh, not everyone can afford a book or who has time to read a book these days? Everyone's got about <laughs> five minutes of attention span. Uh, so yeah, I'm having, you know, this is a very important subject. For me, this is something I take very seriously. 
I always talk about the three E's. I think if this gets disclosed and we embrace it and we go mainstream with this, we can solve our three main problems. The economic crisis, which is completely manufactured. The environmental crisis, which is also largely manufactured and certainly reversible and uh, fixable. And the energy crisis, which is 100% a lie. <laughs> uh, we have the technology. So yeah, this is why it's so important. The world will be a better place. And uh, yeah, I appreciate you having me on the show. Thanks so much. Absolutely. And, and if you can, uh, if you get a chance, just email me those links to all that, all your websites and YouTube and all that. And I'll post them in the notes of this show so my uh, listeners will be able to find you when they're listening. Oh, very cool. Yeah, I'll do that for sure. All right, man. Well, thanks for coming on today. Hey, it was a real pleasure and an honor. Yeah, it was great. It's fun. I really enjoyed Thank it. You. Yeah. Me too. All right. Well, have a great day. Thank you. You too. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Everything Imaginable on KGRA Radio. You can reach Gary at everythingimaginable2020.com or email him at everythingimaginable2020 at gmail.com. He's also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. You can buy t-shirts, coffee mugs, and other merchandise to support the costs of producing this podcast. Click on the merchandise link at the top of his page, www.everythingimaginable2020.com. Oh yes, I almost forgot. You can buy his book, Enlightenment Guaranteed. It's the only book on Zen that you'll ever need, and it's on Amazon. It'll change your life, because remember, everything that exists was first imagined. Hey, if you loved what you listened to, don't forget, rate, review, and subscribe.